What do you call that noise? What do you call that noise? Peter Pumpkinhead proclaims that any kind of love is all right, and he gets nailed to a chunk of wood for saying so. What does that tell us about XTC's attitude to love and human relationships? In particular, how welcoming does this heterosexual band seem to those who aren't heterosexual themselves? Hello, I'm Mark Fisher, and in this episode of What Do You Call That Noise? The XTC Podcast, we'll be getting through an awful lot of letters. Prepare yourselves for the ABC of XTC from an LGBTQI plus perspective. In a minute, I'll be handing over to Daryl Bullock for a loving and illuminating conversation about XTC between a group of gay and trans fans. But let's warm up first with some music. Since the start of the year, we've been playing XTC-inspired songs written by listeners to the podcast. This month, it's the turn of Tim Pike and his band Slow Rush, who describe themselves as an Anglo-French Bordeaux-based three-piece melodic alt-pop band. And here's Tim to tell us about X Marks the Spot. What do you call that noise? Hi, my name's Tim Pike. I'm based in Bordeaux, southwestern France, and I'm originally from Bristol. That'll be just a few miles west of Swindon. I've been a big XTC fan ever since the teenage me saw the Dear God video upon its release way back. And by the time Oranges and Lemons came out, I was hooked. These days I still cite XTC among my favourite artists, alongside legacy acts like Joe Jackson, Crowded House and Peter Gabriel, and current bands including The Electric Soft Parade, Leisure Society and Public Service Broadcasting. Anyway, I've always meddled with guitars, keyboards and songwriting, and am now part of a band called Slow Rush, as in slow and rush, written as a single word. We formed in 2020 with friend Olivier on bass and my son Dorian on drums, who I might point out is a massive fan of Squid, who have of course featured on the podcast in the past. To date, we've released four four-song EPs, and I do like to think there's a bit of XTC in there somewhere. X Marks the Spot from Navigation and Time, our latest EP, is possibly the most XTC-inspired we've been so far. It taps into the powerful energy of their early material, and in the arrangement you can listen out for guitar stabs going against the beats that possibly descend from the wide-panned intro of Wake Up that many listeners are no doubt familiar with. Other features that may appeal is the middle eight, where we've done our utmost to tick as many uplifting boxes as possible. Finally, the subject matter is suitably obscure. Not far from here in Bordeaux, the Greenwich Meridian converges with the 45th parallel north, and the confluence, which you can easily locate on a globe, is arguably the centre of the northern hemisphere, as it's the point where east meets west midway between the equator and the north pole. The song recounts a couple of road trips to visit the spot. The first time was to position a homemade signpost there. The second was to view the more official marker that has since been installed, although the place still remains suitably underwhelming, bearing in mind the person behind that new information panel does have grander plans that may take shape in the future. But it's all highly symbolic as regards what it represents in terms of mapping out space and time, and we therefore thought the knowingly geeky theme would be good for a song, as well as for the accompanying video which you'll find over on YouTube. We hope you enjoy the track, and if you do like what you hear, feel free to hunt out Slow Rush on the streaming platform of your choice. And big thanks to Mark for showcasing X Marks the Spot. Here goes. Go! On a mission to the center of our hemisphere. Fix the Google mapping. We know what to expect once there. We'll contain our excitement. 
It's not exactly changed Lost the modern artwork A panel shows just what we did A cover action Embrace a navigation of time They've got the concept ready But the artist wants to leave their mark X-Fox is smart Spot west meets west midway up a half of the globe Unsuspecting drivers Whizzing past their screen Uninterested dignitaries Afraid to do the deal All down to the grassroots The energy is low What happens next? Well, no one Fantastic. Thanks very much, Tim. I'll include the link to Slow Rush's Linktree page in the podcast details. And if you're a musician and you've written something inspired by XTC in some way, I'd love to hear from you. If you've got something that fits the bill, get in touch with me at mark at xdclimelight.com. This podcast is brought to you by all the brilliant, fantastic supporters on Patreon whose donations keep me off the streets and out of trouble. They are a fantastic bunch of XDC fans, and if you would like to be one of them, it's very easy. You just go to patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher and decide your level of support. And if that level of support puts you in the Knights in Shining Karma category, I'll read out your name at the end of each episode. Just a quick reminder that you can buy your copy of What Do You Call That Noise, an XTC Discovery book at xtclimelight.com, where you'll also find details of all the podcasts. So I'm going to hand over to Daryl Bullock, the man Andy Partridge once called a veritable bard of the bent, broken and baroque. <laughs> Many of you will know Daryl as one of the organizers of the 2022 XTC convention in Swindon, and he is also the author of several essential music books, including David Bowie Made Me Gay, 100 Years of LGBTQ Music, and The Velvet Mafia, The Gay Men Who Ran the Swinging 60s, both of which include interviews with Andy. Um, he's also the author of The World's Worst Records, Volumes 1 and 2, 
Florence Foster Jenkins, the life of the world's worst opera singer, the infamous Cherry Sisters, the, the worst act in vaudeville, and Pride, Pop and Politics, Music, Theatre and LGBT Activism, 1970-2021. Daryl, it's all yours. What do you call that noise? Thanks, Mark, for a lovely intro you've just given us all. But I thought what would be really good, if we could, would be just to quickly go around and introduce ourselves briefly to everybody. And it might be an idea, perhaps, to to let us know uh, preferred pronouns as well at the same time. Uh, hi, I'm Tim Kendrick. Our pronouns uh, he, him. And uh, I've been an XTC fan since Black Sea came out. And I've been uh, heavily involved in the... Um, uh, conventions, various conventions for XTC fans. I'm Swathic Bethany Ross. Um, I live in Cornwall in um, England. I'm actually a musician and composer as well. So, and I've been an XTC fan. In fact, I was, I'm sitting in the room right next door to where I discovered that XTC were releasing a new album called English Settlement. Some of very cold February evening in 1982. I think I discovered it. It was Radio 4's Kaleidoscope. Colin Moulding was both playing with it. It was described as exuberant. And Terry Chambers' drumming was described as effervescent. <laughs> <laughs> and I, still, I, I just remember those because I recorded it on the telly, hoping upon hope they would play Respectable Street, which is... I only ever heard it once on the radio, and I only recorded a tiny bit at the end. For the record, what were your preferred pronouns? It's um, they, them, theirs. Brilliant, thank you. Keely? My name is Keely Moss. Uh, I'm a huge XTC fan from Dublin. My preferred pronouns are she, her. I came to XTC when I was basically trawling through record stores, trying to educate myself and uh, fill in as many musical gaps as I could and devour as much music as I could as a massive music muncher. And I came across a compilation called Upsy Daisy Assortment. I bought it, took it home, played it, fell in love with it, and then went out and got the Chris Toomey book on XTC and got, gradually over the years, and assembled a vast XTC vinyl collection that I can barely even lift um, onto my leg. Um, so yes, that's my story in a nutshell in relation to XTC. Okay, fantastic. Thank you. For those who don't know, uh, my name's Daryl Bullock. I was one of the co-organisers of the last XTC convention. That'd be that thing there, although I'm showing it to a camera and they can't hear it. You won't actually see this, you'll only hear it. <laughs> so I'm shaking my t-shirt in the background. I verify he's shaking the t-shirt, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a writer, um, author, I suppose, um, written a few books that have done kind of okay-ish. Um, huge XDC fan. I kind of really got into them around the time of Black Sea English Settlements. And he, him will do for now. Uh, although I don't particularly mind what anybody calls me as long as it's printable. <laughs> so before we get the conversation going what i would like to do and i think it'd be a nice thing as a uh, co-organizer of the previous xtc convention was was mentioned as as tim did earlier on that tim is one of the co-organizers of the forthcoming xtc convention which will be happening in 2025 yes june 2025 
I mean, Mark will include a, a link on, on this podcast later. So you can all go to the Facebook page and find all the information that you need. But Tim, you've made a couple of announcements this morning, haven't you, about what's happening? So do you want to briefly fill everybody in? Well, it's very brief because we don't have that much yet. <laughs> but with the next um, XCC convention is going to be in uh, June 2025 at, at Mecca in Swindon. Three days of fun. And we've also kind of uh, rebranded convention to festival because somebody, a lot, not somebody, a lot of people were saying, oh, it sounds too corporate and too business-like. So we're now the officially the 2025 XTC Fans Festival. So um, so that's what we're going to go forward with. I was a co-organizer of the one in uh, 2017. And so then I took a break from the last one. <laughs> now I'm back again. <laughs> <laughs> Keely, you've you've just filled us in a little bit on on your your XTC story. Um, I will come back to that in a bit because, but it would be nice also maybe to tell people who don't know that you are a musician. Your band does have a new album out. So they can find out more information about it somewhere. Do you like to tell them where? For sure, for sure. This is one of the lovely things about recording uh, at home is that I'm in a position to be able to say that yes, said album is entitled Floating Above Everything Else. And it is uh, a debut full-length album uh, released. Um, basically, I'm essentially a solo artist, but I record in the studio with my music partner and my producer, and then I play live with a live band that I've assembled. I'm the common denominator between the two. So it is a band, and it's a solo artist, a bit like, say, how PJ Harvey, when she was, she was PJ Harvey, but she had her band and PJ Harvey. So yeah. Basically, I'm on a label in South London called Dimple Discs, which also has The Undertones and um, Cahill Coughlin until his untimely death. Oh, yeah. And yeah. Micro Disney, kind of residual Micro Disney releases kind of come out on the label as well. And I've just completed my first tour of the UK, um, which we embarked upon with. I, I'm in, a massive music fan. I've always had a very, very, very strong connection with England and with with in England on a on a on a geographical level. You know, all of my songs have got references to English and Scottish places, um, in there, which is very unusual for an Irish songwriter. You know, who are ordinarily kind of look more towards America. I've always looked more towards England. And one of the reasons why I when I fell in love with XBC, it was it just felt so easy, so comfortable, so familiar in a sense because. XCC to me are, are the are the ultimate outsider band. So I think they have the ultimate outsider fans, and I think all of us would kind of certainly fit into that bracket. That's really interesting. I mean, I think we we obviously all have our own stories about how we got involved in XTC and what XTC mean to us as members of the LGBTQ community. For me personally, I think it was this understanding, as you said, this kind of outsiderness, because I think. We all, as members of this community, have our own experience of being outsiders, of being different, of being other, if you like. Um, and it was always something, something for me about this inclusivity, if you like, about XTC's material. There was they they didn't seem to want to position themselves away from a community. They wanted to embrace community and bring people into them. There's something very expansive and and uh warming about xtc songs for me um and it's in a way it always i know it's a bit of a cliched thing to say but there's a very beatlesque um feeling there i remember um 
Ringo Starr once saying something along the lines of um, the thing he was proudest of with the Beatles is all the songs are about peace and love. All the songs are about love. And that's kind of similar with XTC. The vast majority of their songs are about love, but it's not necessarily very obviously, you know, boy-girl love, heterosexual love. It's about it's about a love for mankind. It's about a love for nature. It's about a love for spirit. It's a, it's about love for the planet and what's going on, and and not excluding people from that. Which is, I think, when you're growing up and you're looking for your own tribe and your own music to listen to, that's a really attractive thing. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. Um, I was thinking of um, one of my favorite XTC songs, "Great Fire." There's no pronouns at all in there. No, It'd be a song about any anybody's love. Yeah. It's always nice because sometimes you have to kind of, in my mind, I have to change the she to a he. You know, with songs and even even like then she appeared. I I changed it to then he appeared, but something like Great Fire, no pronouns. It's like fits everybody. Should we have a little chat about some of the songs that we we highlighted previously to this that we think kind of resonated with us for a, in, in a certain way? Um, Swazik, are there any particular XTC songs that that resonate for you personally as a trans person? As a trans person, I've got to say, not not particularly for me. A lot of my experience with XTC has been purely musical, and I suppose there's the emotional side of things. My ears pricked up when Andy sings, "Any kind of love is all all right," and then I'm starting to listen to some of the Dukes of Stratosphere, and I hear, "Have you seen Jackie?" Which actually felt me. Oh, hang on a minute. Is this being a little bit... He was a boy. But take, they're taking on the style of the 60s. So, I mean, there was a few, fair bit of... I mean, Arnold Lane's about a transvestite who steals ladies' underwear from, from, from washing lines. So I think they were just going along with the stylistic thing. So there's nothing to fear like that. But music, um, I can't really think of anything... What is it that attracted you then as a musician to XTC sound? I think I think when it comes to XTC music and my own history, my own transgender history, it's kind of XTC's always been my own little my little band, if you like. It's my it's place where I can go and escape everything. You know, I'll go down the valley, down St. Nathan's Glen and I'll take my little walkman with me as I had at the time. And go and listen to my very bad copy of, of Black Sea, or or a very bad copy of English Settlement, because I had a thing about recording the album so I could listen to the Moncassette. But yeah, um, in a sense, it was yeah a secret band for me. I was part of. I felt I was part of something that nobody else was really interested. In. Well, do you not think that that's kind of potentially? Uh, part of your your life at that time was very kind of secretive. Your your it was your very. I'm guessing kind of uh, there must be a, a certain element of kind of loneliness going on. There is. So you're looking for something to identify with. Yes, I suppose, and I was kind of aware that a lot of other XTC fans were also very. If you don't say I'm an XTC fan, nobody's going to say I love XTC. I only say it when you say it. <laughs> Don't they? I suppose that's true. Yeah, absolutely. There's very much something about about finding your own band, isn't it? About finding that sound that works for you and that and that band that you feel uh, comforted 
by or at comfort with exactly that that is it yeah yeah i mean for me growing up um i i, I was born in 1964 so i grew up i grew up with older siblings and we were listening to you know the beatles and the who and the rolling stones and the kinks and all that kind of stuff i was very very early indoctrinated into music thank goodness but for me growing up in, and becoming aware of my sexuality for example it was it was impossible to find someone to or some band or some artist to uh, to identify with at that time because every everything was you know boy meets girl boy you know and, and everything is very very heterosexual in the in the world of rock and roll so when you find a band like XTC or certainly for me a songwriter like Andy Partridge who has a much more expansive view and a much more welcoming view on and there's we, we you touched on a, a couple of songs there you touched on have you seen Jackie um a, a song like you know the garden of earthy delights you know just don't hurt nobody mm. um yeah everything about the garden of earthy delights is very about very much about you live your own life you don't listen to what anybody else has to say about you as long as you're living your own life and you're not injuring anyone else get on with it what's he got to do with anybody else do as you will harm none as 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 andy as andy wrote on on the cover of was it apple venus isn't it yeah do as you will harm none yeah yes yeah, so actually that that ballad in in itself i found particularly back in, in sort of the late 90s i found that actually extraordinarily comforting in a way as well but then i live in a part of world where sort of you know green pleased to bend down for the man called the green man you know such a tagel for that <laughs> everybody's sure. everybody's a king after or everybody's a, everybody's a reincarnation of, of whoever everybody's doing this so i kind of i kind of get it but i nobody here is nobody here's an xtc fan oh i tell a lie i live in a lane that is full of xtc fans I'm very lucky in that way. We have three three households. Is it an Arnold Lane, Swazik? Arnold Lane? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's not It's not respectable street either, I can tell you that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> you just touched upon one of my absolute favourite XTC songs. Mine too. In fact, I think it's the first XTC song I, I heard, because I think it's the first track on Upsie Daisy Assortment. Yeah. Um, and the version I heard, because when I heard Black Sea with this, this whole other intro where you've got Andy singing over this very um, ancient sounding, very, what's the word, very... Um, scratchy. Crackly. Scratchy, almost 1920s era piano. And it sounds so, so, so quaint. And But on the single version, obviously, it doesn't have that intro. So um, that is an incredible beginning for a song because then it makes the, the clanging, crashing guitars of Dave and, and Andy when they do come in all the more explosive and all the more impressive. Mm, yeah, um, yeah. Mm. yeah, it's excellent. It's just brilliant. Yeah, exactly. But on the same, on the single version, which I heard on Upsy Days, the assortment, it was like struck from the gecko of what a brilliant song it was. And not only the guitars, which were hugely appealing to you. I love that kind of quite gnarly, quite post-punk, the trebly tone of Andy and Dave Gregory and the, the musicianship and the songwriting quality and the outsider perspectives that you hear really all through XTC. And one of the things that appealed to me um, about them, and I think is very unusual, certainly for an all-male band, especially from that era, is there's nothing creepy about them. There's, there's nothing overtly sexual about them. There's nothing no. that would make you feel in any, any way like 
that they're they're on the road for you know carnal reasons. It's much more about the artistic you know um, aspirations and and about telling stories and depicting life as it is. And a song I say, "No Slugs in Our House," which is one of the most honest and most thought provoking and quite provocative songs of its time because I can't think of another song certainly not another single and I know that it was released in the single although I know it didn't do all that well for various reasons but the fact that it was it's a depiction of a portrayal of a a scenario that's probably occurred many many times in many many households but has never been written about before as in uh, the son of a family being guilty or ha- having committed a racist attack and how the parents are in denial about that and then there's the banging on the door from the police and it's it's brilliantly told from like, the parents' perspective and, you know, he would never do such, such a thing, our little angel, you know. It's, yeah. It's, it's our best perspective, which again just makes it such a, a wonderful song and then, um, yeah. It's very pictorial. Definitely. Yeah, with with respectable street with me, I think I probably managed to record the last verse and chorus of the only radio broadcast that seemed to be going on. I never heard of it on the radio again after that, and I waited, believe. I never bought the record because I wasn't allowed to buy XTC records back then. I was allowed to buy police records, but not XTC. <laughs> then we moved to Cornwall and everything changed, and I, I, I bought my first album I bought down here was... English settlement, and their their begins and ends story. What about yourself, Tim? Uh, as far as songs go, well, yeah, I mean, are there particular songs that resonated with you, or is there something about XTC as a band, or as you know, Colin and Andy as songwriters that that kind of uh, reflects your life in any way, or or strikes a chord with you? Well, just overall, I tended to like bands that nobody else has heard of that you know were obscure. I don't know if it had to do with me being gay or not, but I just, I like this like little secret that nobody else knew about. Exactly. Yeah. Not, not, not just XTC, but like uh, throwing muses and all the bands I could name. No one has ever heard of with one exception. One of the bands I loved was REM in the early years. And I kept, I kept hoping for all these bands, XTC, throwing muses, REM, please become big someday. Everybody should hear them. Then REM became big. And it's like, Oh, I wish they hadn't become big. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so, so maybe it's just as well XTC didn't become big so <laughs> they would have lost something maybe I don't really see you know Andy is a kind of Michael Stipe of, of Swindon somehow <laughs> no, I don't think he'd no. have cut it <laughs> but, it, but there, there were days where it's like I was going to an REM concert nobody ever heard of him and nobody barely anybody was in the audience and it was like it was great <laughs> <laughs> um, so, so I like that aspect of him but as far as the songs there's so many songs I mean Poor Skeleton Steps Out about the fact that we're all the same we're just skeletons walking around yeah this yeah. flesh on us i mean for an lgbt person t person that's really uh you know that resonates because it's just yeah we're all the same it doesn't matter who we love but, and um so so there are so many songs uh like that like i said great fire i had a huge crush on a guy um, when great fire came out and i'd play it over and over and over again and just obsessing about this guy <laughs> listening to this song over again so um because again no pronouns it's like oh i don't have to change the pronouns yeah your glance a match on the tinder what a great line your glance a match on the tinder wood isn't that awesome so I mean, great you know it's uh, fantastic thing and uh, eyes bring water i mean instead of just saying oh i was crying it's eyes bring water that's just yeah so more such, so much more evocative <laughs> uh one of the greatest lyricists ever I would agree with you. 
I, I, I don't know. I can't. You know, I, I wouldn't deem to, wouldn't dare, you know, talk on his behalf. But um, I, I do know that that Andy is personally. So we, we we do talk occasionally, and I, and I know that he's kind of quite in touch and quite open about the fact that he's he's had um, or he has. Oh, can I word this without without embarrassing him or myself? He's quite open about his sexuality and quite and quite uh, quite um, in touch with both sides of his, you know, male and fe- male and female um, sides of his sexuality. Well, uh, yeah, I definitely uh, related to that too. That's why I read reread Chalk Hills and Children this morning, just because I remember there were bits in there that were related to that. And yeah, reading through it, he's talking about the guy that was put his hand on his knee. Um, when he was like a teenager, and he said he was okay with that because he got free popcorn. <laughs> and then, um, <laughs> then he had this menage a trois one night. He said it ended in disaster. But the fact that he was, was open about that, I just think that's great. The fact that yeah. he, oh, you know, yeah. in a way, even though Andy loves women, he he has a gay sensibility about him. He doesn't like sports. He's very artistic. Andy and I, and I'm sure he won't mind me saying this if he listens to this and tunes in. Doesn't mind being fancied by men. He quite likes. He quite likes. Like a lot of music, a lot of straight musicians, quite are quite in touch with that, and they're okay about it. They've got no issue whatsoever. There's no that that whole kind of macho bullshit that goes along with a lot of people is just not there at all. You know, um, which is great. He, he's very kind of um, aware of the fact that we all have, you know, different likes, different. Uh, um attractions and and it's not an issue for him and i why and why on earth should it be admittedly yeah you know andy if you're listening to this andy i'm really fit (laughs) (laughs) there you go as long as you're not watching it i'm really fit (laughs) erica could have some competition there could be another satellite (laughs) yeah okay (laughs) And here's the thing. Someone meant, actually, Swayzik mentioned the police earlier on. Obviously, XCC toured openings for the police. One of the things that I feel so, um, that one of the reasons why I wish, like many people, I could devise a time machine that would take me back to be able to see the original XCC lineup in their prime, on stage, live. But I do believe genuinely, I'm not just saying this because this is an XCC podcast. I have said it many times. I think they're the greatest live band ever. The, I think they're the greatest band who've ever played music live, ever. I, I would agree from what I've seen. And I know Andy yeah. said a few things over the years that would, you know, cast aspersions on that, but this is one time where I'm willing to say, Andy, you're wrong. They were the greatest live band ever. Did any of you see them live? For example, did you see them when they opened for the police? Did you see them when they put Talking Heads? Did you see them doing headline shows? Have any of you seen, seen, them, seen them live? No. I've never got the chance. Uh, I've seen all of all five of them, but not together. Gotcha. I've seen uh, I've seen Colin and Barry play together. I've seen Colin and and Terry play together. Um, but I've I've never seen uh, all five of them or four of them on stage together. I'm sadly. Uh, I was too young, really. The last the last tour in Britain was what it was 1981, 82, and yeah. So yeah, it was. I was. Yeah, I was too young. Seventeen, sixteen, coming up seventeen. So I, I just, I just missed my opportunity. I didn't start really gigging until the year following. So I missed uh, my chance here. They never came yeah. to Cornwall. My manager, manager of of my band, uh, Nick, sold them with Barry Andrews in nineteen seventy eight on the Go Two tour. Uh-huh. 
I mean, that would have been just incredible. Because what a time, because the songs for Drums and Wires were starting to come into the set, and including probably my favorite FTC song ever, which is Roads Girdle the Globe. And the, to see them at that time, at a fascinating point in, in their development, just before Dave joined, Barry was still in the band, they were touring the mighty, the, the incomparable Yay! <laughs> I think it's a brilliant record. Mechanic dancing, um, red B ten. Whoa! So many great songs on it, but it's just like the artwork is just. I mean, it's a brilliant hip- hypnosis leave. So clever, so clever. I recently got this vinyl copy in America. I was doing a, a promo, a radio promo tour, and I and I went to see the Sid Barrett movie. Have you got it yet? There's a special screening of it in New Jersey at a place called the Monty Hall which is the uh, the cinema that belongs to WFMU, it's a great station in, in New Jersey. And just before we went in, they were having a, a, a vinyl sale. And I, and I just leafed through the boxes in case there was anything special. And I came across the, 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 like the treasure trove of dreams, um, including the mighty go-to um, and, and quite a few other things. WFMU is the uh, station that I broadcast my show on. Brilliant. It's the yeah. best station in the world. Yeah, fabulous. I need to reach into my drawer and pull out, pull out something else now. <gasps> because, of course, that's yes, the has just been... Oh, what a, it's a great record. I love it. Which has just been reissued on, on 5.1 and Dolby Atmos. And if you've heard it yet, if you've all been playing it... I've been playing it. Isn't it stunning? Stunning, just Wonderful. stunning. Steve Wilson has done his the best job I think he's done so far with this. It's just incredible. The mixes are amazing. It's always been my favorite or second favorite of their albums, and one of my top five albums of all time. And 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 getting kind of back on track to use that, you know, to to hammer home that that uh, that little metaphor. Um, Train running low on soul cold is another conversation. It's another song that came up in conversation about how it kind of radiates or reflects that individual outsider kind of journey and that and that feeling of of um not belonging is that fair yeah for me it it represented a time where i was starting to get the end of my tent i think we've known each other daryl and tim probably from the tc and i days yeah. is that right yeah well, just before that, I just finished my my postgrad at university, came back and was suffering rather badly from lack of money and an inability to get a booking job. So mood kind of fell down. And yes, I was also suffering quite a lot of abuse. Busking, I used to do a lot of stream, uh, street entertainment. I was getting a little bit in the neck uh, out, outside in the village. It's not the best place to be. Uh, when you've lived, grown up around here, around, around where I have, it's so people tend to see you as you were, not or they think that all of a sudden, just because you're trans, you're different. You're not. You've just told them something that they didn't know. And well, it kind of, around 2017, it all started to get a little bit on top of me, and this song became a, a an earworm. Yes. Yeah. I really kind of, it, it lasted for months and months and months. It didn't do much for my liking of the song, although I did, I, I adore the song. It means it, it's, it's kind of personal. It's, it, it represents a very, I think that's actually what the song means, isn't it? It's kind of, I can't take much more of this. 
I mean, it's absolutely about that. It's about somebody who's about to hit their thirties. It's about someone who's very unhappy with the way their career is going. It's about someone that's desperate to get off that track and do his own thing for a while, or do you know, to 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 be himself rather than this thing that's being pushed along by by management and by his responsibility to family and to the band and everything else. Again, I I don't want to put words into other people's mouths, but I think we can all possibly as lgbtq people understand how difficult it is to stop you know and to take ourselves off that track when we're being pushed along by our family and our friends and and they want us to be a certain way and we, we're supposed to conform and it's a very it's a it's a song about non-conformity it's about not conforming and it's quite a difficult thing no matter how old you are and at what period you are in your life um to suddenly decide I don't conform to this, you know, gender binary, you know, male, female world. I do not conform to this. It's, I need to do my own thing some other way. And and certainly for me, um, I've taken a massive amount of strength through the from the music I listen to, from the acts that I that I watch and enjoy, and to to hear songs like you know we mentioned uh garden of lights earlier on and, and there are other songs that maybe you know less well known like all i dream of as a friend or even for me i don't want to be here which um you may or may not know was originally recorded for for a, an aids hiv charity album which didn't come out so there's always there's been an understanding there i think for a long time that um xtc had an lgbtq audience and that the band and again, you know, I don't want to put words in other people's mouths, but I th- my feeling is that that band did not want to disassociate themselves from them in any way, which is really empowering as someone who's constantly, you know, because when you're growing up, um, everything is about, you know, men and women, uh, gender conformity, you know, male and female, everything has to fit together like like two pieces of a jigsaw. Um, and when you realize you're not like that, that doesn't work for you and you need to, you need to do something else to be yourself um it's it's really important to have some support network around you and and a lot of the time for me that support network was the music i was listening to and it's great when when bands are supportive like that um uh, i remember uh, green day uh, billy joe came out as bisexual and and it didn't made a little bit of news but not a big thing so then on their first big american tour they brought in Pansy Division, a, a very gay pop punk band, as their opener, and it pissed off so many of their fans, and they loved it. They extended Pansy Division's tour with them because they 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 wanted to piss off the fans like that. They they wanted to get rid of their homophobic fans and not have them there. So again, bands like that, XTC, Green Day, that are just brave enough to just say, you know, be open minded and about this kind of thing. Absolutely. That- that reminds me of, of Nirvana, who yes, they're who obviously one. had had a large proportion of, of a homophobe in their audience, and I put it a large proportion of of jocks, kind of sports jocks, you know, in their fan base, who were the kind of cats who used to, as Kurt has gone on the record saying, used to beat him up when he was in high school. So I think he always felt, and obviously they were quite an outsider band, yeah, with very quite artistic sensibilities, obviously. So they would do things like. In the video for In Bloom, they all donned dresses, um, partly to try and repel that sort of knuckle-headed, discriminatory sort of uh, person from from identifying with them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because obviously there is a lot of that doing the rounds. 
and bands that that have got that element in their fan base i i think it's it's very admirable very uh, commendable when they rather than just sitting back and taking the money but when they they actually take a stance um as as certainly nirvana did and and green day did as as you point out there Tim. yeah yeah positive allyship absolutely and XTC falls into that, yeah. Keely, you're you've just recently been touring. Um, you're yeah. working as a as as a gigging musician now. You know, God, forty years after XTC as a band last stepped on a stage, uh, apart from you know the radio shows and things like that. I mean, obviously you can't compare what was happening forty years ago to what's happening now. But do you feel that music and musicians and maybe audiences? Have have come along, have have moved along that route, and are now much more accepting of of LGBTQ um, bands and and artists. I think so. I think so. I mean, it's something, for example, that you never hear nowadays is um, terms like derog- terms being used in a derogatory way as a slur. Like you, you know, you, you can't. I mean, I can't imagine hearing someone refer to somebody as gay as an insult or as like a a put down or a slur, and um, that would not have been the case 30, 40 years ago. I mean, in Ireland, homosexuality wasn't actually de- decriminalized until 1995, which is quite a, a extraordinary when you think how in the UK it was decriminalized in 1967. And often between the UK and Ireland, there's generally a fairly close, um, obviously, there's very close proximity, but culturally, we're, we're pretty much aligned. But that's one thing that was absolutely out of step. So Ireland, and, and I think world, well, certainly the Western world, has come a, a very, very long way since the dark days of, of you know, the yesteryear when LGBT people had had a lot more to fear. Obviously, there are still divisions, there's still ignorance, but I think it's been gradually eroded. And I think over time, the the easier it is for LGBTQ people to be visible. Then more those who are of that persuasion then you know come out and then gradually um, then then it's those barriers are broken down further and and their families and friends and associates realize that oh you know they're like that as well and you know it's it's something that I think is is quite encouraging yeah. I mean, as someone who you know who writes about music and writes about music from an LGBTQ uh, point of view, usually, it always amazes me how many artists that that we know, you know, how many artists that we you know we look at today as being kind of at the forefront of of LGBTQ music and musicianship, uh, were told by their by their management team or their or their label heads um, not to come out because they were afraid they'd lose their audience. You know, even even people even people like Elton John and and George Michael and and, and um, Mark Almond were told don't come out. Your boy George when he went to the states and Frankie when they went to the states were told don't talk about you know homosexuality. You'll lose your audience. It's farcical. When you think that you know a, a rock and pop audience, anybody buying music, it could be that um, narrow-minded and that and that ignorance. Absolutely, Dara. Yeah, but it happens. But it happens, doesn't it? it? It certainly must have happened. Otherwise, you know. Oh yeah. But does it, does it still happen? I mean, it used to happen, but does it still happen? I'm hoping it doesn't. I'm not aware of it. I'm not hearing it when I talk to people these days. Nobody tells me that anymore. And, and you can, you've only got to look over the last 
five, 10, maybe 15 years, how many artists have been able to come out and, and talk openly about their sex and their sexuality um, to to know that that obviously isn't the case. You know, the fact has been proved. When Elton came out, he didn't stop having big hits, you know. When George Michael came out, he embraced it and laughed about it and won, you know, and had massive, massive hits afterwards. You don't lose an audience. Absolutely. Through your, because at the end of the day, somebody paying an exorbitant price it is today to go and see a band, you know, at the far end of a football stadium doesn't particularly care about who they're sleeping with. All they want to do is listen to the songs. There's less identification as well. You know, when you think of how in the sixties, obviously which is, pop music was very, very youth driven. Um, and in terms of the fan base, but I suppose the elements of the fan base would have been perhaps more impressionable and would have been more inclined to try and idealize themselves as being potentially the boyfriend or girlfriend of, of the singer. Of the, I think there's less of that now. Um, and I think people are, are more understanding and more forgiving, more accommodating of, um, of the life choices and of the orientations of, of the artists um, involved. Yeah. And I think I'd certainly say that um, someone like Michael Stipe, who came up in the conversation earlier on, has helped make that change. I think there are there are artists like him, and and and, and many male main male and female artists who have uh, gay, straight, and trans artists who have helped make that change and make it much more obvious to to the people running the industry that that it's it's of secondary importance to an audience. What happens yeah. to the audience is is that the music's good and the lyrics resonate and that they can you know. I, th- I think politics these days are more important. You know, seeing your own political views reflected in an artist you're listening to is probably more important these days than than who they're sleeping with for an awful lot of people. Definitely, yeah, yeah. I mean, look at look at the fuss that people make when when every time Morrissey opens his mouth, <laughs> you know, people practically have babies over it. You know, but that kind of brings a point up, doesn't it? And there's this. There's always been a, uh, an idea that you can separate the art from the artist, or you should separate yeah. the art from the artist. I do try. I think we all have to try, but it's not always easy. It's really not always easy. It's not easy. There are certain, there are certain artists I, I just can't listen to anymore because their political views are so abhorrent. Yeah. But it doesn't, I haven't, you know, smashed my copy of Strange Ways Here We Come yet. I'm getting bloody close, <laughs> admittedly. You know, and, and I love yeah, that record. Absolutely. Likewise, with it. There was a band that, you know, that started my love of fairy music in the first place. Hearing them as a 14 year old changed my life and made me embark upon this course that I've subsequently devoted my whole life to, which is making music. So, you know, when, when a band that means so much to people as the Smiths did and do. Um, when such a significant figure within that band, such as the lead singer, um, embarks upon, or rather, as this continues down a very dubious route, mm. and and does so very forcefully and outspokenly, and in a, such a cavalier way to. You know, it's kind of riding roughshod over the values that the Smiths and their their fan base hold held dear. And it, I think it it really it points to the necessity of um, a figure such as Johnny Marr, who has I think stayed true to the spirit of the Smiths 
I think the spirit of the Smith still lives on in Johnny, in his public proclamations, in his his relationship he has with his bandmates, with his wife, that it's stayed the course, um, with his activism in, in, in kind of positive ways without being, you know, too um, sloganeering. Um, yeah, I, I'm just glad that we still have Johnny flying flying the flag in in a positive way and in a very inclusive um, way. I think that's that's actually an interesting point because obviously um, the Smiths were a finite entity. They existed for a finite amount of time. They will never exist again. Yeah. In much the same way that it's 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 unlikely that we're ever going to see XTC reform again. So they existed for a time, and now what they've created, what exists, that that body of work doesn't belong to them anymore. It belongs to the fan base. Um, the Smiths, you you can, I find it difficult myself personally, but I, I'm sure it's it's relatively easy to divorce the Smiths from Morrissey because Morrissey has gone on to do whatever he's doing. But the Smiths released what, five albums, four albums, five albums? Four studio albums. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and that's, and that's it. You know, and that, that will never be, uh, you can't deplete that. It exists. And that, that's one body of work. And the same with XTC, even though, you know, every time one of the 5.1 ones comes out, there's a, there's an extra track or two in there. There's more stuff coming out. There's, there's always, you know, the new work from from Andy or from Colin or Dave's gigging and and recording and Terry's obviously out gigging, Barry's gigging and recording. So there's although there always been new work from the solo the solo um, elements of the band, XTC as an entity no longer exists. So that body of work is it's it's held it's in mylar isn't it it's it's um it's it's you know sealed and and kept and can't be spoiled so we can look back and look for those um yeah the elements within those songs that resonate with us and that's never going to be taken away from us because they they're already there yeah there's something something that that you said there daryl that that kind of just, just reminded me of why i find the recordings from around the english settlement period so poignant um, songs such as Yacht Dance, songs such as All of a Sudden It's Too Late, um, that have the beautifully, that are imbued with this melancholy air and the chord sequences, the chord changes, and Andy's voice, and Colin's voice too, some of the runaways. But there's, there's some, not only is, is that, I, I think, kind of their, their magnum opus, certainly of the live band years, um, but the fact, obviously, that Andy had his breakdown and they quit they quit playing live and they would never play live again. I know that there was that brief radio tour acoustically in, in 89 in the States, but as a, essentially as a band, they finished that night in San Diego. And I think it was April 3rd, 1982. And one of the things that it's lovely to get an opportunity to actually ask this and, 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 and run this past fellow FTC um, nuts is with regards to the end of, of their touring years, um, and specifically with regards to that ill-fated American tour, which started so wonderfully well. And I've heard Dave, I've heard Dave Gregory comment on it and say that that first gig, it was it was the the one time when he was in the band where it was like it was it was the way he imagined it would have been like the Beatles or something. It was such a rapturous response from the crowd that night. Do any of you know anyone who was at that San Diego gig? Because there's, there's no footage of it online. There's no photos from it. Or I've never seen any photos. I've never heard any audio of it. It seems somehow it seems to have gone completely unrecorded. And that is tragic. I mean, it's the last time they're ever on stage together. 
Well, if you think about it, 1982, there wouldn't have been anybody recording it because we didn't have handheld cameras. We didn't have, you know, all those kind of things, unless it was recorded for TV or, or for, for, yeah, the audio for local radio. If there, if there was live footage, video footage, it would have only have happened if a, a local film crew had, had, had captured it uh, or they'd have captured it for their own live video. Because you know we didn't have we didn't have iPhones, did we? We didn't have um, handheld video cameras. We didn't have all the stuff that we have now, which makes it so easy to document, you know, gigs and and to you know to to put stuff out uh, on the internet. I've heard a surprising amount of XTC live though from radio shows or taping. But the vast majority of it is recorded for TV. When you think about it, though, in terms of say, I mean, look look at the Pink Floyd. Even though in 1967, there's cassette recordings that were made by fans in the audience of the Star Club gig in Copenhagen, yeah. of the gig in Stockholm. And there's also the gig that they did in at the Hippie Happy Fair in 67 at, in, in the Netherlands. And that was 1967. So I'm just surprised that there wasn't an enterprising cassette tape, tape holding. It's weird, isn't it? XTC freak who thought I'm going to record this gig because it's the first date of the US tour yeah. and, and they were big enough at that stage like if you look at it what's his name um, the cat who booked the, the, the tour Copeland um, apparently it, the, the, by the end of that tour they were they, they would have been able to, to headline Madison Square Garden mm, where I know mm. they'd opened for the police there so they had enough fans the place was sold out the next night in Hollywood Palladium I think was sold out which they obviously didn't get to play I'm surprised that no one's no one recorded it. No one took any photos. Like I know it was 1982, but there still was access to like, you know, bootleg recording equipment. It's kind of weird. Uh, yeah, I'd be surprised there isn't audio foot audio recording somewhere. So, but it's you know somebody must have some horror, you know, some tinny you know re- recordings. But but uh, video footage just wouldn't exist. I'd be really surprised if there's any, anything on video. But who kn- who knows? Things turn up. The maddest things turn up years later. I always used to look in the box at the front of the shop at Virgin Records for XTC concerts. Loads of Pink Floyd. Loads and loads of bootleg Pink Floyd. I, I never saw any bootleg XTC ever. Right. Not ever. I, well, I, I tell you, if, if Barrel hasn't yet come across a um, an, the most elusive quarry, then I'd say it probably doesn't exist. I, I'm gonna, and we're going to check with, with our, our guy Mark Fisher as well to see, just in case, if he might have come across. I genuinely can't remember. I'd be, I'd be really surprised if there isn't some audio footage somewhere or some audio recording somewhere, but it's probably such awful quality because there's loads of XTC audio out there. There's there's plenty of handheld recording and sound, sound desk recording. Was Steve Warren still with them at that point or had he left, the, he left hadn't he, because he'd been given the boot by, by Ian Reid? So if, if if Warren was still there, there would be recording. It would definitely be a sound desk recording. But he was I don't think he was involved, was he, at that point, sadly. Good old Ian Reed. The G is silent. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's been a fascinating chat with everybody, and I've really enjoyed this. And I think it's it's been eye-opening. I'm sure it's been eye-opening for a lot of people listening to the podcast. What I'd like to do now briefly is have a chat about, or I'd like you all to maybe highlight one or possibly two of your favorite XTC songs, or certainly songs that resonate with you as an as an LGBTQ person. And I'm going to I'm gonna kick off by starting with what seems to me to be the really obvious one, you know, the elephant in the room, and and that is The Loving, which is, for me, it's such a obviously wonderful, expansive, all-embracing 
love song, which is something you don't hear very often. Most love songs are about, you know, heterosexual couples. Uh, they're not very often about loving every single person on the planet. They're not often about, you know, opening up your heart to every person you can think of. It's not... The, the lyrics to the loving um, and and Andy's way of kind of you know packaging packaging love as as a commodity are are not only incredibly clever but they're really meaningful and I and I think anybody that has been in a in a loving situation that's been in a relationship no matter you know what their sexuality can identify with that song it's I mean it's everything about it is is about inclusivity and i and i love that i love the loving there you go tim what have you got these aren't my all-time favorite songs but they're two xcc songs that um have quick gay references which i love because there's so many you know there's hardly any rock pop songs that have gay reference into them unless it's like a gay band like pansy division but you got something like um goodbye humanosaurus which i love absolutely love the line with brains as big as a burger bath history has got him down as a homo sap i just love that line i just think it's such a great <laughs> lyric i just i absolutely love that and it's just it's a, i just i just smile every time i hear it it's just so great uh, and the other one is toys where you got, it's just something, you know, to Andy it was probably just a throwaway line, but the line, Ken is going back to gay Bob. It's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I like that. Hip hip hooray for I, Ken I, and gay I Bob. Don't, I don't <laughs> think Andy ever throws away a line. I think he thinks very carefully about those things. <laughs> well, you might be right. But to, 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 to a gay man, to have that in, uh, you know, a rock pop lyric is just fantastic. It's like, do you, do you want to explain to listeners who might not know who or what Gay Bob is? Oh, Gay was? Bob was a, a, a doll, just like Barbie or whatever, is a male doll, and like Ken had Barbie, and um, Gay Bob was Gay Bob, Gay Bob, little Gay Bob doll about the size of Barbie and Ken, <laughs> and um, very big in New York City and, and, and San Francisco. Was, I'm 80s. sure Far Island it would have been, it would have gone down a storm. <laughs> yes, yes, probably. But, uh, but for Andy to put that in a song, I just thought it was so cool. And I just absolutely love that. <laughs> Swazik, do you have a song you'd like to talk about yourself? One of my selections is actually, it's a post-XTC song, I think. All I Dream Of Is A Friend. The mood of that song, when I first heard it, actually it kind of resonated with me at the time. I, I've been very low, uh, really quite lonely as well. And sort of, it, Again, there's this 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 um, spectre of my fiftieth booming in front of me, so I was feeling quite low. And then to bring me out of my funk, I had another earworm. Everything will be all right, be all right. That, <laughs> though I love it, drove me fucking crazy. <laughs> I tell you, <laughs> I had this for about five months. Waking up, the first thing I hear. If you want to know what the what the grasshopper thinks, I go just. <laughs> but it was it was in a funny sort of way. It was it was. There are so many XTC earworms. Yeah, I know they're all. Another one is uh, Sergeant Rock, which apparently is not Andy's favourite. No. Favourite song, which so I don't mind saying that when I think of that so going to make a cup of tea now put some milk in it and some please to be sure <laughs> gonna make a cup of tea now it's it's that so i love it personally it's yeah the lyric is probably a little bit weird 
probably not really what we've come to, you know, to well, associate with our Andy. I think it really like the occasional aberration, and it's it was a hit, so you know you forgive anything. Yeah, yeah, I know he hates it, and I think it's an awesome song. It's, to me, it's the package, it's the whole thing, the lyrics, kind of doesn't matter. <laughs> it's a great song. Keely, why don't you finish off the uh, conversation with uh, with a song that means something to you? I'd be honoured. Okay, the song that I'm going to nominate is actually Towers of London. And, and you might think, oh, that's not a love song. But it's a love song to masonry. And the reason why I would choose that as my FTC love of song of choice or my FTC song that would kind of pertain to this conversation is because I, I'm, I'm celibate. I'm someone who um, I don't have relationships or anything like that i'm married to to music essentially that's what i do and there's very 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 few songs i can't think of any other than xdc in the pantheon of pop music that dare to step outside of the conventional boy girl or boy boy or girl girl outside of the human realm of love into expressing love for inanimate objects or expressing interest or fascination with inanimate objects or something other than the kind of more conventional route. So I'm going to go with The Mighty Towers of London from Black Sea, which I think is a phenomenal song. I love Dave and Andy's guitars on it. I love I love Colin's bass on it and Terry's drums and the production, Steve Lillywhite, and lyrically, just what I have to say as well. And also another very kind of poignant song, um, the references to um, Dublin and references to those who lost their lives building the Towers of, of London and the, the entire structure all the the masonry in the uk and in england at that time you went when they were built fabulous right well i think we've probably covered a fair bit there and hopefully we've got enough stuff so i'm gonna say thank you tim thank you swazik thank you keely for an incredibly interesting and enlightening conversation it's been lovely to talk to you all and and to to meet you all in the virtual world those of you who haven't met previously <laughs> i look forward to seeing you all in person in Swindon in 2025. Yeah, Mecca. Tim, remind people <laughs> of how they can find out about the next fans event. Well, they can go to our Facebook page, the 2025 XTC Fans Festival, and it'll be held June 2025 in Mecca in Swindon. Three days of festival fun. <laughs> if anybody that came last time isn't sure where Mecca is, Mecca is the building we used, the old cinema we used for the Friday night where you would have seen uh, me interviewing and you'd have heard EXTC playing and um, and everybody else going on. It's a fantastic venue. It's going to be brilliant. And apparently uh, Steve Warren said him and Andy used to go there for movies all the time as children. It's a fabulous venue. It's going to be fun. Brilliant. Thank you, everybody, for a wonderful conversation and for your company. Thanks, Daryl. Thank you. Thanks, Daryl. I look forward to seeing you all again soon. Bye-bye. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Toodle-pet. What do you call that noise? A big, 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 big thank you to Daryl Bullock for hosting such a fantastic episode. And big thanks to Keely, Tim and Swazig for joining in. Thanks also to Tim Pike and Slow Rush for the song. And thank you once again to everyone who has not only listened, but also supported the podcast on Patreon. And you can join them at patreon.com forward slash Mark Fisher. And it'd be great if you would like to do that. Thanks in particular to the following nights in Shining Karma. Terry Arnott, Kevin Burt, Lorenzo Charchi, Kale Corbett, Liam Duggan, Jamie Dunn, Jeff Farris, Evan Fish, Leslie Gooch, Mike Grafe, Robert Graham, 
Jamil Henry, Stephen Hope, Alan Hughes, Marek Kraus, Jesper Kumberg, Robert Lawlor, Liz Lynch, Mary Meikle, Yusuf Murrah, Jeff Nicholson, Amy Parkinson, Mark Reed, James Reimer, Michael Sutcliffe, Steve Swift, Mark Thomas, Nigel Waller, John Wedemeyer, and Martin Whitley. That's all for now. See you next time. <laughs>